Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So today we're bringing back a classic on, on something we've talked a lot about, which is doctors not believing women, um, not trusting their pain or thinking they're exaggerating. And as we said, um, who knows how many episodes ago, pretty recently, one of the things we want to talk about is the, the physical health impact of this pandemic and all the stress. And that's something that we are working on. And I I know we have discussed this a lot, but Samantha, do you have like something that comes to mind immediately when you think of a time you went to a doctor or something and they kind of dismissed while you were there? So I can't really, I'm trying to think because I don't often go to mm-hmm. the doctor because I am that person. Mm-hmm. I think part of my problem with, in general, going to doctors, I believe them in thinking that mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with me. And I have to, that's part of why I won't go. Unless I'm absolutely sure I am sick, mm-hmm. I will not go. Like, mm-hmm. it's an odd thing. Like, uh, I think there were several times where people had told me they'd gone to the hospital because, you know, they had done this to their ankle. They did. I'm like, no, I just didn't. Like, I, I literally, I think, pulled my calf muscle to the point that it blew up. I couldn't stand on it. And my entire leg was purple. I refused to go to the doctor because in my mind, it still wasn't bad enough because it wasn't broken. Mm-hmm. So why? And I'm pretty sure I broke my foot once and I refused to go because mm-hmm. I didn't think it was good at bad enough. So I am that person that truly does not believe, I guess I'm not I'm worth seeing, and I don't know why. So I am mm-hmm. overly cautious, even though I'm prob- I probably should have on several occasions. The only time I can really think of any kind of mishap like that was trying to explain uh, my anxiety and my mental mm-hmm. health stuff. And I had been uh, referred to a male psychiatrist who pretty much dismissed my entire job saying mm-hmm. that, because uh, at the time I was working with social work and working with uh, at-risk teens and kids who had worked in uh, problematic issues with the law, whatever, broken, you know, and had gotten arrested. And he was talking about essentially how he worked with a facility and was like, they all need to be just put in jail, put away. And I'm like, what? Wow. And Because my job was the opposite of that, of trying to keeping them out. Mm-hmm. And so dismissing that and saying there's nothing they could do to help them as mm-hmm. well as that I am doing too much so that my anxiety was self-induced and all these things. And I was like, wow. Yeah. What? And I never went back to him and I reported it back to my therapist. I'm like, you should never recommend this person again. Like he was wow. the yeah. worst ever. <laughs> and assumed that was coming in for extra drugs too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of similar. I don't, I, I'm not saying this is a healthy mindset at all, um, but I will also like put off going to the doctor until like it's, there's no way that they can tell me that uh, I'm exaggerating or it's in my head or it would be much harder, which is part of this conversation that we feel this way. But I have, when I went to go get, I was just having a lot of trouble breathing, which um, as Mm -hmm. Samantha knows, I have a lung problem. (laughs) And I have asthma, had asthma really badly at one point. And this doctor, I came in to get all these tests. And at the end of it, he said, like, it's hard to get up and work out every now and then, isn't it? (laughs) And I was like a young, you know, self-conscious, insecure 14 or 15-year-old. And 
That just, that, that cut me. That was bad. That left a mark. Yeah. Because I already felt like I was like chubby and all of this like toxic stuff that he was kind of reaffirming that that's all bad and that's on you and it's your fault. And then it turns oh out like I they had to call an ambulance when I collapsed at school because I couldn't breathe and my lips went blue. So, <laughs> and then one day we're going to do a Monday mini on this because I really want to talk about it, but I had a really, really, really bad experience my first time at a gynecologist. And he essentially, like looking back, I'm really not sure what was going on here, but he kind of like threatened to tell my dad that I was basically sexually promiscuous or something. Which, right. oh. oh my God. There's so much to unpack there, but that, it scared me and it traumatized me. Um, to this day, I think about, I think about it. Uh, and again, yeah, I think I was 15, 14 or 15. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Well, with all of that in mind and with all of these ideas that we're planning on returning to in future episodes, please enjoy this classic episode. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. There seems to be a lot of questions floating around the internet about women and their doctors. And I'm just getting the impression, generally, that women feel that doctors don't listen to them. I came across two big questions on said internet the, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> regarding women and doctors. One is whether or not male doctors come on to female patients Ooh. and where the ethical lines are. I did not investigate that one. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes. And that we probably will never record. And also whether or not doctors listen to female patients. Right. There's a lot of interesting data out there about um, just gender interactions both the gender of the patient and how that affects the doctor-patient relationship and, and, as you can imagine, the gender of the physician. And I, for one, have always sought out female doctors. I feel more comfortable with a female gynecologist and a female internist. My chiropractor and my acupuncturist, I'm just going to tell you everything about myself <laughs> right now. Do you want to know my blood type? Yes. Um, I don't know it. Um, I don't either. Oh, God. We should figure that out. Um, they're male. So the people, the people who are like cracking my spine and, and sticking needles in me are, are guys. But I, you know, I just feel like if I'm going to be doing, talking about really personal things and getting medicine prescribed, I just, I feel more comfortable with a lady doctor. Mm-hmm. And this question of the doctor female patient relationship has been snowballing in our minds as we've been doing episodes on underdiagnosed chronic conditions among mm-hmm. women such as vulvodynia and it also stood out in our podcast we did a while ago on gender differences in anxiety absolutely uh, because Taylor Clark over at Slate pointed to the American Psychological Association's Stress in America survey in 2000 which found that if a woman goes into a doctor's office uh, and complains of symptoms, they are more likely to be dismissed as just the products of female stress, just the product of being a woman. Perhaps the change of life. Yes, the seasons turning. (laughs) Uh, Whereas male symptoms, the same symptoms presented by a male patient, uh, 
often taken more seriously. And this is uh, specifically in regard to cardiology, and we'll get into that a little bit more. So we decided to look into whether or not that was true, whether or not women are just complaining more loudly. Are we just pickier about our doctors? Are we all hypochondriacs? Hmm, what, what is happening yeah, uh, there was a May 2010 blog post by Nancy Clemus on uh, on the Ms. magazine blog, and it, she posed the question that that we're going to get into about why don't doctors listen to women, or do doctors listen to women? And she said, how do we dispel the age-old myths that women are emotional, overreactive, and generally unable to describe their own medical conditions? What is up with doctors making up their minds about us when we've uttered three words about what we're suffering. And I believe Clemus also is a medical doctor. So this is a doctor posing this question about other doctors. Now, across the board, probably because of the limited amount of time that doctors have to see patients in the exam room, there is some mistrust that goes on between patients and physicians. There was a 2008 column in the New York Times uh, by Tara Parker Pope, who was citing a Johns Hopkins study finding that about one in four patients, it's pretty high, Mm -hmm. one in four patients feel that their physician sometimes exposes them to unnecessary risk. And she quotes a New York doctor saying that nobody's talking to patients. Everyone is so rushed. I don't think doctors are bad people. We're just working in a broken system. And on a side note, uh, this is coming from a report in the Wall Street Journal from 1997 to 2005. The time a doctor spends with individual patients has actually increased from a whopping 18 minutes, which was high, I thought, Mm -hmm. to 21 minutes. Hmm. Um, as far as the environment that these doctors are working in, uh, Tara Parker Pope in her post uh, says that dealing with declining reimbursements and rising costs, doctors have only a few minutes to spend with a patient. And sometimes when I go to the doctor, I feel like it is literally just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really surprised by that 21 minute figure. Well, the, that's averaged out and the writers suggest that it might be that high number might be due to an aging baby boomer population. Sort of skew the, skew the curve. Could be. Could be. Um, some things that influence the, the trust issues between doctors and patients are news reports about medical mistakes and drug industry influence. So the more you hear about malpractice suits and, you know, people leaving medical instruments in someone's spleen, after a surgery, maybe you're more likely to worry. Yeah, and because a lot of adults are very attuned to what could possibly be wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Caroline, but I have inadvertently diagnosed myself with a terrible cancer oh, yeah, all the on time. WebMD symptom checker. I have like 50 cancers. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty dangerous. This was, according to a Pew Internet Project survey, uh, 69% of women and 58% of men will research what could be ailing them before they even step foot in the doctor's office. Right, and that's actually sort of a, uh, maybe not a dangerous mistake to make, but if you've done all this research because you're worried about your health, I mean, it makes sense. But if you take all of that into your doctor and say, okay, look, here's what this website says. This is what I have. Well, even though your doctor is a very smart individual, he or she might 
sort of follow you down that path and think, okay, you're right. And this actually, I say this, I say this because it happened to me. I actually had a, it was a minor and a brief dermatological issue. And I looked it up online and I was like, okay, good. Well, A, I'm not dying. And B, this sounds like what it is. So I'll, you know, I went to the, the dermatologist wasn't my normal doctor. Uh, I went to a new one because I couldn't get in anyway. So I go in with all this information and they're looking at me and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let them decide what it is. Mm -hmm. And finally, you know, they're poking at me and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I think it's this. And they look and they're like, "Uh, yeah, here's some hydrocortisone cream. Go home. Well, then it it wouldn't go away. I mean, you know, it was nothing bad, but it it kept like it just kind of hung around. And so then I went into my my normal dermatologist she's like oh god how long have you been using this hydrocortisone cream and i said well really not as much as they told me to she said good because that's not what you have and if you had used hydrocortisone cream every day between then and now your skin might be falling off oh my goodness so yeah it is dangerous to go in with your mind made up already well in addition to women possibly over educating themselves about what could be going on compared to men, we're also more likely to, like you did, take action and make that appointment and go in. This is coming from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is excluding pregnancy-related visits. Women are 33% more likely than men to visit a doctor. Now, that starts to close with age as we all get old and we're all equally sickly. <laughs> um, but doctors see our faces more often. Right. And uh, according to a meta-analysis of data from 1967 to 2001, this appeared in the Journal of American Medical Association, uh, it found that visits with female doctors last two minutes longer on average, as far as gender goes. So as far as women, women are in the doctor's office more, but if you're seeing a woman doctor, you're also going to be seeing her more. A little bit more. A little bit. Two minutes. 120 seconds more. I wonder if two minutes makes that much of a difference, though. If you have a question. Yes. A a brief question. A very brief one. And you mentioned that the pattern is slightly different for um, OBGYNs. And this is true. It's interesting because all these studies are saying that, you know, female patients go to the doctor more. They spend more time at the doctor. Um, Female physicians are more likely to spend more time with you. But all of that is not the case for male OBGYNs, they actually demonstrate a higher level of emotionally focused talk with their patients. But maybe that has to do with them tailoring communication styles to their patient population because uh, studies have also demonstrated that female patients, unsurprisingly, tend to communicate more, want to do more of the the whole person analysis, how they're feeling um, mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, instead of just, you know, sticking more to what is going on, what is my temperature and my blood pressure. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like male robot patients. Yes, as you know. Men talk like robots. Yes. Um, the, the Journal of Patient Education and Counseling in 2006 published a study that found that while men tend to be satisfied regardless of the doctor's gender and communication style, us ladies uh, are more particular, and we tend to be happiest with female doctors when those doctors expressed great concern, empathy, and reassurance. And, I mean, that makes sense to me. I want to know that my doctor is listening to me and understands. I don't, I don't need her to be like, oh, boo, don't worry but I you know I, I want to know she's listening and understands but actually 
The whole the whole thing flips on its ear. And if those doctors were male, female patients were dissatisfied with overt displays of caring. Ah, we can't be pleased. They just can't. <laughs> But it makes sense, though, that women might be more particular about the kind of health care they are receiving because we are spending more time in doctor's offices. Mm -hmm. We're probably seeing more doctors. And again, we go in uh, statistically, we go in armed with more knowledge. So maybe we set the bar a little bit higher. And this is not to say by any means that male doctors are somehow not doing their job properly. There's simply a communication difference. Uh, cause there was a journal, uh, I don't know, Caroline, did you reference this? The Journal of Women's Health Study from 2009 that found that male physicians had a higher component two score, which was understanding the whole person, which is really what it sounds like more what female patients are interested in. Right. It seems like we want to get the whole picture, the whole health picture laid out. And uh, from the same study, female physicians had a greater component one score, in other words, exploring both the disease and illness experience. But I'm wondering if maybe this big dissatisfaction has much less to do with the the gender of the physician that we're talking to, because again, um, I don't want to say that, that female or male physicians are one is superior to the other, but maybe it's how women present their symptoms and whether or not the word stress comes up mm. because a Cornell study presented at the 2008 cardiovascular research foundation found that mentioning stress affects a doctor's perception of a woman's symptoms. Uh, these researchers examined how doctors react- reacted to patient descriptions of cardiovascular problems for male patients versus female patients. And they concluded that, quote, the inclusion of a stressor precluded doctors from making a coronary heart disease diagnosis in women, but not in men. So there's something about women saying stress that like sets off alarm bells in physicians brains it says oh you know what uh it's probably just your stress levels here is something that will take care of that yeah here's an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant right pill. right maybe that's why according to the cdc the major classes of drugs doled out to women are painkillers antidepressants and estrogen <laughs> oh hey hmm interesting um, yeah, as far as, uh, as the mental health and anxiety goes, I mean, yeah, we did reference that stuff in our anxiety podcast. And it was interesting to see how doctors perceive women, uh, so differently. But according to the World Health Organization, doctors are more likely to diagnose depression in women compared with men, which we've talked about before, even when they have similar scores on standardized measures of depression or present with identical symptoms. And this is a quote, uh, you know, you think about predictors for, for being diagnosed with a disease. Mm-hmm. You don't think of your gender. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it says female gender is a significant predictor of being prescribed mood-altering psychotropic drugs. So just being a lady, you're more likely to get mood-altering drugs. Women also tend to seek more generalized medical assistance for mental health issues. This is, again, coming from the World Health Organization, compared to men who are, A, less likely to seek mental help, but when they do, they'll go more to specialists. 
Right. And and there's just there's something about gender stereotypes, not only for women, not only doctors thinking, oh, she's just hysterical, um, but for men as well. And uh, gender stereotypes regarding proneness to emotional problems in women and alcohol problems in men appear to reinforce social stigma and constrain help seeking along stereotypical lines. That's also from the World Health Organization. So these are barriers, I think, to to getting quality care if you're if both maybe if you assume something about your own situation or if your doctor just assumes something because of your gender. And the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, we're talking a lot about whether or not women are satisfied with their patient care. But guys, you you also are suffering from a health care gap as well over the life term male health care costs far more than women's because you're not investing as much in preventative care and going to the doctor um, as often as we are. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe at some point we need to to meet in the middle where doctors quit dismissing women's complaints as just the byproduct of everyday stress and men stop going in when it's a 911 situation so that doctors take your you know symptoms far more seriously. Right. Yeah, go for more more checkups along the line instead of waiting until it's just at the tipping point. And as far as identifying problems, especially mental health issues along gender lines, um, there was an interesting interview with Dr. Jerome Grootman uh, by NPR. He read a book called How Doctors Think after he himself had a bad experience about trying to get something diagnosed, and he went to several different doctors, and um, finally, I think it was the fifth doctor, someone finally listened to all of his symptoms, and he got the right diagnosis. But So he wrote this book called How Doctors Think after his experience, and He's talking about how doctors maybe have errors in thinking. It's not that they're bad people. It's that uh, we use shortcuts, he says. Most doctors, within the first 18 seconds of seeing a patient, will interrupt him telling a story and also generate an idea in his mind of what's wrong. So they're making this snap judgment, and he calls it an anchoring mistake, because once you utter a couple of words about what you're experiencing, what hurts or what feels bad, um, some doctors have already made a decision about what you have based on your gender, age, race, whatever, and they kind of stick with it and maybe uh, use everything else you say to confirm what they already believe. So as far as having an idea of what someone is already suffering from or not suffering from, um, an interesting study from uh, the Cardiac and Vascular Institute at New York University Langhorne Medical Center. This was published uh, in September 2011. Um, anywhere from 40,000 to 100,000 women every year with arteries that show up as clear on an angiogram suffer from a heart attack. And 38% of the time, they have the kind of plaque that doesn't show up on an angiogram. And so a lot of these doctors are sending women home because they just do this one test and they say oh you're fine it's probably indigestion you know here's here's a prolisac or whatever go home lie down get some rest but then when the woman comes back and she's going no okay for real i'm i'm having a heart attack um that's when they realize that something very serious is wrong and and women are symptoms and and this is i feel common knowledge i know that um women present very different symptoms when they're having a heart attack than men do um and that is something that really needs to be taken into, in, into account. If a woman is suffering from the same thing a man is, she just might not present the same symptoms in the same way. And so I think um, if maybe if we get more time with our doctors, if we go to them with enough time mm-hmm. uh, in advance of any problems we have, then maybe we could um, 
be taken more seriously and get these things diagnosed as far as, and, I mean, instead of waiting until it's almost too late. Well, and if the standard tests for things like heart disease and heart attack are tailored to what more commonly manifests in men, it would make sense that within that 18-second window that you mentioned from um, how, the book How Doctors Think, it would make sense that you know doctors would conclude that yay or nay, this is or is not going on. Right. Um, so it sounds like there's room for more nuance in the exam room, but also before that, taking more, even in med school, <laughs> training doctors to look more closely for um, for for the gender differences. Mm-hmm. I have never been to med school. People who have been, <laughs> let me know if that is happening. I'm sure it's happening a lot more than it used to, because we've talked about in the podcast before how with uh, for a lot of prescription medications, for instance, it's only been in recent years, in the past like 20 years probably, that they have started uh, using women in more test groups whereas everything was tailored to men because men are more stable because they don't have menstrual cycles. Oh, God. And by stable, I'm not talking about, like, brain and mood stable. I mean, physiologically, <laughs> levels of hormones <laughs> in their body stable. Uh, but to cap things off, let us let us at least verify that it is not just in our heads. Even though women are going to the doctor 33% more often than men, a December 2011 study published in the European Journal of Public Health via the Public Health Agency of Barcelona found that women did indeed report health problems more often, but it's because we are actually suffering from a higher rate of chronic disease. And the lead researcher says... These results suggest that the poor self-rated health of women is a reflection of the higher burden of disease they suffer, and it should be, uh, the, the, the findings should be offered up as support that women are not just a bunch of raving hypochondriacs. <laughs> and uh, speaking of hypochondria, according to the National Institutes of Health, hypochondria presents itself equally among men and women. Especially with websites like WebMD. Mm-hmm. Where you, all you have to do is click on that little body uh, and tell it what hurts. It's always cancer. <laughs> There's always, you could scrape your knee and WebMD symptom checker would give you knee cancer. It's like, of some sort. it's always going to be cancer or a foot fungus. Like, it's something where you're like, wait, how seriously? Do I, how do I have prostate cancer, WebMD? I'm a, I'm a woman. Come on. Um... But okay, so we we've we've come back around to the whole self-diagnosis thing, and I, I think we should talk about some of the mistakes that we do make when we go to the doctor's office. I already told my long story about my hydrocortisone cream. We don't need to revisit it. Um, but Dr. Christine Northrup uh, was quoted in a 2008 CNN column uh, by medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen. And Dr. Northrup said that women make a huge mistake by feeling paralyzed and voiceless in a doctor's office. Although I'm not sure how you can call uh, something like that a mistake. If you feel paralyzed, you feel paralyzed. But anyway, she says you shouldn't feel paralyzed. And um, so so she breaks down the the five mistakes that we make. And one is we don't question our doctors. She compares it to a, a child versus parent interaction that we're just like, okay, whatever you say, you're smart. So we're just passive sitting on the the exam table mm-hmm. waiting for the terrible prognosis of knee cancer. <laughs> exactly. You're going to get letters from people with knee cancer. 
Um, she suggests taking someone with you who will ask questions, who, who maybe isn't afraid to ask questions uh, to the doctor, or just ask the doctor to slow down and say, look, I, don't, I didn't go to med school. Can you please help me understand this? Mm-hmm. So that, that's one idea. And she also says that uh, instead of just seeing the facts, we're offering interpretations, which could lead the doctor down the wrong path. In other words, what she's saying is you go and prepared, know that you're going to have a limited amount of time and know what you want to talk about. If there are you know, three things specifically that are happening, be ready to cut to the chase. Right. And yeah, cutting to the chase, which is what I should have done earlier with my story. Um, she says that, you know, don't interpret your system or your symptoms in the doctor's office. Uh, don't just state the facts, state what you're suffering from. Don't say like, oh, well, so then I was reading that maybe it could be foot fungus. Um, just, just let them, let them exam, you know, examine you. And I'm not going to lie. I'm totally guilty of going into the doctor for something and not wanting to reveal the fact that I had done the research for fear of seeming like, a crazy <laughs> internet hypochondriac. But so many of us are. I right. mean, I think they know that. I mean, I think if you're a doctor, if you're an internist, probably I would say a huge chunk, to be very specific, come in every day just being like, well, I read this on the internet. Sounds like we just need more honesty in the in the exam room. Yeah. And maybe several follow-up appointments. To- I'm going to prescribe our listeners more honesty and gumption <laughs> next time they go to the doctor. Put that on a pillow. Um, and one, one major issue that she points out is that we don't, as women, we don't recognize gender bias, apparently. Uh, she says that our issues are more likely to be interpreted as emotional issues or complaining, like we've touched on. And, uh, Dr. Uh, Nisa Goldberg, author of the wonderfully titled Women Are Not Small Men. Um, <laughs> thank you, Dr. Goldberg. <laughs> she says, you don't want to go to a doctor who says, no, honey, it's not all that bad. Which is true. I mean, you want to, if you're taking the time to go to the doctor, you're probably taking off work or school or whatever. You want to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. So listen to us. And we're not small men. Right. Like you said, we have menstrual cycles. So we've been addressing a lot from the patient end of things. What I'm also interested in, two things. A, for people working in the medical field out there, how do you, I mean, Doctors and nurse practitioners and everybody else cannot be blind to this communication barrier between patients and the physician. So I'm wondering whether or not this is something that is talked about, whether or not it's something that is kind of dismissed. If you if you have those certain patients who it's like, well, old Sally's coming <laughs> in. Let's hey, get stop ready. talking about my mother. <laughs> get ready for a, a bunch of complaining um, or, you know, how how you how you manage that. Um, and also men out there, does it, are we, are, are women just complaining more or is there a similar disconnect between what you need when you go into the doctor and the kind of care that you are or are not getting? Is this something that we're all experiencing? Because I feel like the, the, um, the issues that we're talking about have as much to do with, with patient interaction as it does with how doctors are responding. Yeah. And I want to hear from, from women. I know we've heard from a couple already uh, when we did our Volvidinia podcast about um, what symptoms have you had? What, what health issues have you had that doctors have dismissed mm-hmm. and that you found out later it was actually something serious? Right. 
So we just asked for so much from everyone, but uh, but really, I'm I'm very curious to hear from folks. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is the address. Okay, I have a letter from Christina. Um, she says, has anyone ever told you this before? The movie Whip It encompasses at least six elements from Stuff Mom Never Told You episodes. Let me explain. First, the roller derby show, obviously what the movie was about, slightly mentioned. Second, the women of the Oscar show. This movie was not up for an Oscar as far as I know, but in mentioning general female directors, Drew Barrymore directed and starred in it. Third, is Miss America Relevant? That show, Uh, Ellen Page's character Bliss was being pressured by her mother to be a part of a beauty pageant show. Fourth, feminism, as mentioned in most shows. Bliss lived happily ever after without Oliver, the cheating boyfriend. Decided not to buy his crap about a girl in a picture wearing a striper shirt she discovered on his bandwidth page. Also, be your own hero was a catchy, empowering quote. Fifth, bullying show. Maven, Juliette Lewis's character, was bullying Bliss but earned her respect at the end. Sixth, the Girl Scouts show. Pearl Scouts was the team name that Bliss played on. Isn't this strange, or is this someone's favorite movie? Uh, the movie was cool, but I love your show and wanted to point this out. <laughs> so that's something I'd never thought about. Interesting. And, and I wrote back to tell her that I have never seen Whip It, but now obviously... It's really cute. to see it. It's really cute. And I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, Kristen Earmuffs. But the part where you mentioned, uh, Christina, the whole, like, living without... Oliver, the boyfriend. I love that theme. That's my favorite. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm going to talk about grammar. This is from Mary Ellen. She has a PhD in linguistics and is writing in response to Grammar Girl, and she took some issue Uh to some of the things. She writes, when answering the question about whether men or women pay more attention to grammar, Grammar Girl mentions that older women tend to be bigger sticklers for grammar because all of the teachers way back when were women. While this might be true, it's only part of the story. At least in Western culture, language has been a vehicle of upward mobility for women. Think My Fair Lady. If women speak properly, they can have white-collar jobs such as teachers and secretaries and move out of the lower class. Men, on the other hand, benefit from speaking the vernacular and are mocked if they speak too proper, which brings to mind this, the whole kind of elitism argument that crops up often in political seasons, as we are in. Finally, I want to comment on if you will. I disagree with Grammar Girl. I don't think that it undercuts what you are saying. What if you will does is ask your audience permission to use a word or phrase that you're acknowledging as inadequate, but best fits because you can't think of a better word. I think it's a useful phrase and don't see any reason that you shouldn't use it. And you know what? Mary Ellen is one of many who has written in to use in support of if you will. Aw. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. I, I feel like I've trained myself to weed it out so thoroughly. As you wish. Yes. <laughs> that as you wish will be the only thing that will suffice, if you will. So, if you have any questions to send our way, momstuffatdiscovery.com is the email address. Facebook.com slash stuff mom never told you is the surprise Facebook place to go. And then at momstuff podcast is how you can reach us on Twitter. And of course, if you want to find us during the week, we are over at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. 
Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?